0: Tibis, Tibis. The Tibis project. So we landed,
1: and I came in on the second plane,
0: Tibis. and it
1: was just very cold and uh, extremely beautiful. Welcome
0: to the Tibbis Podcast. Much of the relevant data that paleoclimate scientists work with come from ice cores drilled out of large ice sheets in Antarctica and Greenland. Here is the story about how such a drilling is prepared Back in 2015, Sune Oletta Rasmussen and colleagues from the Niels Bohr Institute landed on a small ice sheet on Renland, an island off the coast of eastern Greenland. Sune, how did that start?
1: Yeah, it all started out with a with a, a wish, of course, a scientific wish, to get some data from a, a, an understudied region. Um, the thing about drilling ice cores from the big ice sheets is that you record a mixture of the climate and also uh, the height of the ice sheet. So if the ice sheet grows, it gets colder on the top, not because of climate, but just because you are higher up in the atmosphere. Uh, And uh, you want to correct for that in some way. And a good way to correct for that is to go to an ice sheet that can't change height. So we would look for a place where we could find a little ice sheet, which is constrained by the geography. So it can't grow very much. And that would allow us to say that this ice cap, you know, could not, no matter what happened, have been much higher than it is today. So we looked for that, and we found one on the on the East Greenland coast, um, called the Greenland ice cap, and it was was drilled uh, back in the eighties. But uh, we wanted a new core, a longer core, and and we could also measure the things that we can measure today, which are uh, a lot more a lot more advanced. So we prepared that for about a year, and then we. Um, Took a Hercules airplane from West Greenland, where were our uh, base logistics bases, to East Greenland, to Mestersv, a uh, small military uh, airfield. We were the first guests that year, so they cleared the snow off the, the runway for us, and we uh, stayed there for a few days waiting for for good weather, and then we uh, we went with a a small twin otter airplane um, onto the ice sheet, and uh, we did not know exactly where to where to drill when we left up. So we, um, we started with a four-person team, um, a radar technician and a helper, and then uh, a field specialist, I would call him, and driller later, and then myself as the field leader to, to, uh, to establish a very small camp and then do radar measurements to, to figure out what the optimal place to drill the ice core was.
0: The rock bottom underneath the ice is important for where to drill? Let's- yeah. It's a combination
1: of of you need a, a place where the where the ice flows in an orderly manner, so you don't ruin the layers that you're interested in. So by looking uh, through uh, with, with the ice penetrating radar, you can map internal layers in the ice. So a volcanic eruption or a climate change may 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 uh, leave a very faint trace in the ice that you can see with the radar. So by running as a as a snowmobile a skidoo back and forth with with the radar, you can map these internal layers. And you can analyze them, and you can find a place where you're pretty sure that you can get a relatively long core, and you can get one where the layers are not disturbed by flow.
0: So that's your job to point out right that, here. That, that was the first. Right here. That was the first job. Yeah. Okay. So, good. So, how do you get onto the ice, and what did it look like when you arrived there, and how, how did you feel about that?
1: You know, it was a pretty uh, eerie experience because we we simply arrived at a white surface where you know there was nothing, so we could only fit two people in the plane. And we were four people so we had to fly twice so uh, we, we, we basically just split our gear into the two first people safety gear and tents and then the second team with the radar gear and, and the other two people so we flew in it was very very beautiful because you you fly along uh, the fjords usually when we work in greenland we work on the big ice sheet where everything is just big flat and white but here it was you know you had mountains and ice streams and, and a lot of topography to look at so we landed and i came in on the second plane my two colleagues um, had been there for, for about uh, two hours and they put up the first tent. Um, and, um, and it was just very cold and uh, extremely beautiful with the uh, view all, all around to the mountains. And uh, we just started up, you know, setting up camp and making ourselves safe and comfortable. So we had one big tent or uh, an eight foot big uh, dome tent to be our living room and office. And then four small tents to sleep in, and uh, so we put those up, and we built snow walls around them. So in case we would get some uh, some stormy weather, we could we could uh, sit it out.
0: Mm-hmm. What was it light there? What, what time of the year was this?
1: This was late April, um, so it was uh, very light. You know, the sun would just set in the mid uh, at midnight uh, for, but it wouldn't get dark really. You know, you would get the. Most beautiful long sunset, and then that would turn into a long sunrise. Mm.
0: How does that feel to to watch the airplane take off again and leave you four guys there?
1: Um,
0: I think you know it, it's
1: that that part I'm used to from the big ice It's The part about the the plane leaving, you know, and and it just gets it just gets quiet because and, and you know you've been inside or around an airplane for for a while, and you know everything is noisy and busy, and, and then you but then you get to this quiet moment, you know, when the plane disappears out of of hearing distance and then you just like whoa you know we're on our own now guys and gals um we better we better make this work and uh, but you know this was a team of people that we we knew each other pretty well you wouldn't not send for people in that were new to each other so we knew each other pretty well and we had we had our roles um i was like the field leader cook um carpenter you know you build you build small things you know shield a little a little thing around the generator to protect it from the weather and then later we were building up a, a bigger camp but in the beginning it was mostly mostly just sorting out things and putting up tents and organizing cargo and then we took about 5 days to do the radar measurements we took turns because it was so cold that you uh, after running a few hours on a skidoo you would simply be so frozen that you would need a break so we we took turns and then um, our radar expert, he managed to process the data, with you know in a camping chair with his laptop computer on his lap, inside the tent at minus uh, thirty-five degrees, you know? and uh, he managed to to pinpoint the perfect place to drill. So after the first week, we then called the rest of the team in and said, you know, now we know we know where to, to drill. Here here are the coordinates, and then we. Um, we, the rest of the team came in with a slightly bigger airplane because we had then because we were on the ground, we were able to survey the area and make sure that there was a safe landing area for a bigger plane. And then they came in with a, a German Basler airplane, an old TC3 um, and uh, with much more cargo capacity. and then we started building up the real camp, so the drill camp. So the first was the, the pilot and radar camp as we call it, um, which was very simple. Um, and then uh, we built up, up a full drilling camp uh, to drill to 580 meters depth in, in a month. And there we had a cook and a doctor and, you know, and build up things with plywood and, and uh, 2 by 4s and, uh, and duct tape. Those are the, the main, the main uh, building materials. When you build up things that only have to last for one or two months, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty fast process. So you build up things from whatever you have, and then, uh, you know, you're ready to put thing, pull things apart and take them down again. So, but we, we built up, the, up the, the camp in about uh, four or five days, and then we started drilling, and some of the science projects that were uh, also in camp. We were pumping air from inside the ice, the snowpack, because it helps us understand how the bubbles get caught in the ice eventually. So all the records we have of, of greenhouse gases that go further back than, than 1950s basically come from ice cores that contain small amounts of, of, of ambient air enclosed between the ice crystals and, and understanding that process is important to to understand what the signal is. So we were pumping air from the upper part of the of the ice cap which has uh, where snow is transforming into ice at the same time uh, as we were drilling the ice core in a different hole but in the same camp. and. Um, and trying just to do some basic measurements while we were there so we had a grip on w- of how deep we were and w- what kind of climate situation we were in. And we then managed to, uh, to drill an ice core to 580 meters in, in, in just one month, which was very very impressive and fast. Um, and then we pulled the whole camp down again and, and went back before the height of summer, because when you're on East Green near the coast, it gets um, too warm. For an ice core drilling in in late summer, so um, so by uh, by end of June we were basically done and and left the camp again.
0: So you had to get it all done on time, actually.
1: Yeah, it was a very very high uh, pressure time wise because we had to first find the place, build up the camp, complete the drilling, get the ice cores and the science gear out, and close camp with, before the the surface got soggy with the summer melt. Um, because of, of 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 recent warming, then in every every year there there is a layer on top which gets kind of soft. and we wanted to avoid that because that gets sticky for the airplanes. and then it starts to be to be to be difficult to get all our stuff out. So we wanted to get out while it was still nice and cold. Also for the say for the sake of the ice course, we actually had to bring a freezer to the top of the ice sheet to keep the ice course cold enough. Uh, so because during the middle of the day it could get up to around around freezing point, which is too warm for, for an ice core. So we brought a big um, uh, like, um, a commercial freezer um, that could be disassembled to an ice sheet and had a generator powering it. It was a, a surreal experience, um, but uh, it, it ensured that the ice core was cold enough and, and could be shipped back uh, in, in good conditions, even though that the temperature was approaching melting point at the end of the season.
0: You've been in several of these ice core projects uh, having different roles, I guess, uh, from, from each time. Was this one of the more difficult ones or did this go really smooth?
1: I mean, this was in, in a way more difficult because we were more on our own. We had less supply lines from back home. But both because we had great weather and we were you know, a little bit lucky, but also to the you know, credit of the, of the fantastic, experienced team that, were, that was there, it was actually extremely smooth, and it also you know, this is the reason why we managed to drill an entire ice core uh, to 580 meters in, in a month. So it, in, in a way, it was it was easier because we were all there for the same reason. When you go to some of the big projects, there are many associated programs that are there at the same time, and they sometimes compete a little bit about resources and you know who gets to do what. But here it was a small team of 11 people and we were all there for the same reason and everybody was extremely helpful in in making sure that whenever somebody needed a hand with something you know you wouldn't even have to ask somebody would already be standing next to you ready to help Mm -hmm. so in that way it was it was a different but an an extreme extremely positive uh, experience people are always helpful in the field but there are there are are sometimes a lot of agendas at the same time and it, it People may not have an overview of what is going on. And, you know, so, so you may not get the help that you need, not because people are not willing, but because it's such a complex operation. But this was much simpler. Eleven people in the same place, shared goal, and, and we just got the, got, the, got the stuff done.
0: What about the scientific goals? Have you met those and uh, is the work still ongoing?
1: So yes and yes, we have met, met the scientific goals already, some of them, and we're working on, on, on extending the analysis. But it's, it, it looks good, I mean, it looks, we got an ice core of very high quality and good data from, a, a, from the region we wanted. And we can use this data to constrain the, how much the, ice, the, the height of the ice sheet has changed. And therefore we get a, we get a, a climate record that is more clean, you could say, than, than, uh, than most other records. And we can then use that record to calibrate all the other records we have from all the other ice core drillings, and try to separate what is climate change and what is height change of the
0: ice sheet. So you can get even more uh, precise estimates.
1: Yeah, we can basically u- we use this small record as a as a tool to understand the longer records from the three kilometer long ice cores from central Greenland. So in that way, they supplement each other uh, very nicely. We get it. We get in this case, we got a, a record from a place. Which is you know very close to the sea, compared to the big ice cores, which makes it more sensitive to changes in sea ice, and we got this uh, kind of a calibration tool, height-wise, so we know how much the, the the big ice sheet can change. So so in that way, it's it's uh, complementary to the big projects, um, and uh, and helps us understand some of the factors that complicate analysis of the of the long ice cores from the rest of Greenland. The TIPIS project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon
0: 2020 Research and Innovation Programme and a grant agreement number 820970.